Pod. 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 Welcome back. Say Who Say Pod. Another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. It's Kalen DeBoer contract talk week. <laughs> at least this I, is this is the week where it all it all kind of kind of came to the fore. It's it's getting discussed. He's commenting on it publicly. Um, what 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 did you make of what Kalen DeBoer said on Monday about his current contract situation? Because I've seen people interpret it a couple different ways. So I don't have a great read on how worried I should be about this. Um, I will say that his statement was less definitive than Dan Lanning's statement. What Dan Lanning said was basically, if I leave, you can call me a liar. If if I leave, you can tell me that I am a bald faced or bold faced. I've heard people say it's both. I believe it's bald faced, like a freshly shorn, no hiding behind a beard or anything, a bald faced lie. If Dan Lanning takes another job, Kalen DeBoer did not go that far. He basically, he poo-pooed it and said things are looking good. But as a Washington fan, I do find myself, huh, I think Washington probably has more to worry about than Oregon when it comes to potentially losing its coach. I just don't know how likely it is that he would actually be lured away by one of these jobs. Lanning's comments definitely, um, they, 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 Stood out. Uh, they made DeBoer's comments look a little more wishy-washy than I think they actually were. Uh, I, I think I walked out of that press conference feeling like, okay, he addressed that to a greater degree than I was expecting. I was not expecting him to volunteer, even though I think we all kind of, I mean, what in the world would they be doing if they if they weren't in, in con- new contract talks? But the fact that he essentially volunteered that, hey, Troy Dannon has been very proactive about that. He's initiated talks. We're we're trying to figure out a way to for for myself and my staff was the he you made sure to include his assistance for myself and my staff to I think quote continue on our journey here. So I my read on it was, <clears throat> hey, we're working on an extension. I want to sign an extension. Be patient; it'll get done. Um, he he could have been more unequivocal i mean dan lanning showed exactly what unequivocal looks like and then you know your words don't bind you to to any decision but you're right now if he leaves you can point to like there's there was no wiggle room in what dan lanning said you can be coy with it and i'm trying to think of examples of coaches that i've said make that i've heard make similarly unambiguous statements that turned out to leave Lincoln Riley, maybe, but Lincoln Riley was savvy, man, because he just said, I'm not going to LSU. (laughs) And he he didn't. He didn't go to LSU. Nick Saban is probably the most direct. Now, he was the coach of the Miami Dolphins at the time when he said, do you need me to say I'm not going to be the coach at Alabama? I'm not going to be the coach at Alabama. And then became the coach at Alabama. If you're actually going to end up making the move, it doesn't really matter because the new school is going to love you even more for having broken your word. It would really surprise me if Landing left. It would still surprise me if DeBoer left. It occurred to me this morning that the Washington staying on track to go to the college football playoff would make it not quite an automatic that he would le- he would stay. It would make it extremely hard for him to leave. You're not you're not going to leave a team going to the college football playoff. You just you're not going to do it. And perhaps you could have a school. Well, 
because whoever would hire him would have to drop a massive, massive contract on him. Like, not quite Jimbo Fisher level. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. You're going to have to pay me $75 million to fire me. But it would have to be. A school that's, that's ready to drop that kind of money is very unlikely to wait until the the tail end of the hiring season to do it. The one thing is, and you're, I've thought about that with the CFP timing. I mean, that was essentially why Cincinnati got one more year of Luke Fickle, right? Because correct. Was it was it Notre Dame? Um, or maybe I'm getting my I'm getting my hiring cycles mixed up. But there was a job he was in contention for. People thought he was a strong candidate for, and. He was like, "Look, I'm I'm coaching the Cincinnati Bearcats in the college football playoff. I can't I just I cannot leave." Yeah, um, there was, yeah, it, it would it would be that that would be that would be really really hard to envision doing. Um, I just yeah, you, coach, you want to see what happens, right? Like you can't you you only get so many opportunities like that, and even just from the purely set aside the loyalty that you probably would or the loyalty you undoubtedly feel toward your players, even guys that bail feel bad about that. You're, you're going to leave a chance where you're one of the final four teams. No way, no way. Are you going to leave that on the table? No. I mean, ostensibly like, look, if Kalen DeBoer ever leaves Washington, it's going to be for a job where he feels like the likelihood of positioning his program to, to compete for those type of opportunities is greater than it is right where, where he already is at. Yes. And so the whole point is chasing, you know, if that's, that's the whole, your whole purpose is chasing being on that stage. Well, you're on that stage. You're not going to, you're not going to. So, um, I look, I don't, I don't think there's a job currently open that, uh, Husky fans have to be really, really, really worried about. Um, I, I just, you never say never. And, you know, any program that can drop a, a just life changing, you know, your entire extended family life changing amount of money on you in one contract, like Texas A&M did with Jimbo Fisher. And like, they're presumably willing to do with whoever they hire next. You, you don't, you don't ever rule it out. Just, just as a, a basic rule, I have a really hard time seeing Kalen DeBoer in college station or, or wanting to be in college station. Um, with that said, We'll see how Michigan resolves. And with regard to the CFP <laughs> timeline, Danny, if you're talking about maybe an NFL team getting involved um, with with one of these really good college jobs opening, well, that timeline's a little later. So I, I that's why I think it's it's imperative to get the extension done. Um, at least I I would say before their bowl game, whatever that is, whether it's a playoff game or a New Year's Six game or, or whatever, um, sometime in December would be would be quite ideal for Washington to get it done. But, you know, the, every game that Kalen DeBoer wins, every week that Washington is still undefeated, that's leverage, leverage, leverage. And, you know, this, that's the other thing to keep in mind. Like, this is not Kalen DeBoer sitting down at the table with Troy Dannon. Um, the agents who represent college football coaches and one agency in, in particular that represents college football coaches um, have interest to serve beyond the individual client. And it's a, it's a wild, wild economy yeah. and how it works and the people with that. It, if, if Kalen DeBoer were to leave, it would not be because Washington does not value him highly enough. No, it just, it just wouldn't. 
if Kalen DeBoer, he is going to be able to command really whatever he wants. Washington will make him the kind of offer like that is at the very extreme of of their financial capability. Because look, I I do some work for Seattle Magazine and putting together a list of sort of the most influential people in Seattle and Kalen DeBoer's on the list. And as I was putting together the story, think about what's happened in the past two years. The only reason that you feel good, this has been one of the most tumultuous two and a half year periods in the history of Washington football. When you consider they had to fire a coach for smacking a player on his helmet, then shoving him in the back. Though I guess they technically just suspended him for that and then fired him for just being, for the way the program was headed. They've lost their conference that they helped found. They've lost their athletic director. Yet it's also one of the most successful periods in franchise history. He's just the fourth coach to have won double-digit games in back-to-back years. He's won 20 games quicker than any coach in program history. It's unbelievable. If it weren't for having such a transformative coach... Washington could be in a terrible position right now, yet you feel pretty good. So it makes you like very desperate or like, oh my God, I hope. And the only way that they would lose him is that, like you said, an opportunity or a financial commitment came along that was just impossible for him to pass up. And certainly none of the jobs that are open right now fit that category. I don't care what people want to say about Texas A&M. Maybe something will. I kind of tend to think it's really unlikely, like less than 20% that he would end up coming into a situation that, that makes him compelled to leave, but we'll see. The question is, if they get an extension done and then Michigan opens, and Michigan is just like, forget whatever his buyout is, forget whatever we got to pay him, Kalen DeBoer's our guy, let's go get him. Does the fact that he signed an extension at Washington whatever it ends up being for whatever amount of years, whatever the buyout is, does that on, on its own prevent him from taking that job this year? Because who says no to Michigan? Like how many coaches ever at a school like Washington? Because th- this is, this is this space, this weird kind of way more fortunate than most, but clearly not as fortunate as a small handful, this space that Washington occupies where, yeah, their head coach would leave for USC. Mm-hmm. And their head coach, shoot, if Alabama called, I mean, how do, you, how do you turn down Alabama? How would you turn down Georgia? How would you turn down Ohio State? Michigan's on that tier. So I, I don't, I, I think um, it, it if is, you're committed Christian. to, if, yeah, go ahead. Let me push back for just a second, because I agree. Like if he's, it's a better, it's a better job. But if you're Kalen DeBoer, do you also factor into the the possibility of like how has that worked out for other similarly high profile coaching candidates? Because at Michigan, it's not been great. Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez both went there, and as sort of apple of the eye type of hires, and there is a level of expectation there that can be pretty excruciating if you don't experience success right off the bat. And then I would say, when you look at Jim Harbaugh and what if he were to leave, either because he goes to the NFL or because something else happens in this investigation, the situation you're being left with is is not ideal. 
the one advantage that Washington has in that scenario, which is you've seen what you can do with this program and you're never going to be fired here. In fact, you're going to be the most important person in our athletic department. And at Michigan, not to say that this is, that's, that's enough. Like, Hey, because anybody in there is like, Hey, I'm going to get there with those resources, that platform, and we're going to take it to the moon. And, and they might, but there is that downside. Cause man, everybody thought Rich Rodriguez was going to turn the world upside down when he went up there. And now we view Rich Rodriguez much differently. Yeah, it's, it's true. And there's, like you said, I mean, there's something, there's something to be said for being at a job where they desperately want you to stay there forever you know and it's not like Mm -hmm. you can't achieve that at an ohio state or a michigan but you you have it at washington and you're in year two you haven't even won a conference championship yet and people already feel that way about you you know you could they could take a step back they could win seven games next year eight games the next year have they could have a lull they could take a step back and there would not be boosters rising up saying we must fire kalen DeBoer. You know, and there's just Washington kind of like I talked about the space that they occupy below that top tier. Well, that's maybe a pro of of, of being in that space where mm-hmm. he, it's it's not a job where like Jen Cohen was, frankly, I think, embarrassed to be firing a head coach in his second season when she fired Jimmy Lake. Remember how resistant she was? to the, yeah. the 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 idea how hard it was for her to swallow the idea that Washington was a place where you could get fired in year 2 as a head coach and i think people pretty much understood that that was a pretty unique <laughs> unique case right and it wasn't even it wasn't even just the record it wasn't even just the wins and the losses and it wasn't even just the sideline thing i know um, it was like accumulation of like multiple he showed how it's hard to get fired in your second year and he dang dang if he didn't do it I also, I mean, I think Washington's been been pretty spoiled throughout its history. I mean, in terms of, you think about its legendary coaches, right? Jim Owen stayed for 18 years, mm-hmm. and Don James stayed for 18 years. You know, they had two co- back-to-back coaches with who spanned 36, 36 seasons, and that was a time when I think Washington was a better job then because there was no national playoff format. The money was so much different. Um, if you had a, a Pac-10 or a Big Ten head coaching job, you got to coach for the Rose Bowl. You got to play in the Rose Bowl if you won your league. And that was like it. You know, that was a bit that was a really big deal. And whether you won a national championship or not, like, yeah, there's always going to be some East Coast bias cutting against you if you coached in the Pac-10. And, you know, it, it, it depended on votes or whatever to get that recognition. But, you know, it was a it was a it was a time when it was not crazy to think that a head coach might stay at Washington for 18 seasons and i think now to get that type of coach you you you're you're talking about striking gold you're talking about hitting the lottery which they kind of did with Chris Peterson right like most for coaches sure. who would come to Washington and have the success that Chris Peterson had at Washington in 2016 2017 and 2018 would be on the list of every texas Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, and who, you know, we don't know those schools didn't come after Chris Peterson, but almost like, like he was, he said no to those type of schools when he was at Boise. I mean, how wild that doesn't happen, no. you know? And so, so, so crazy to think they lost their coach to SC 
but SC might have preferred to hire Chris Peterson. Now, I think they were kind of still on Sark, but yeah, it's a wild. Chris Peterson's a unique, unique story. So the, I think the question becomes like, did is Kalen DeBoer another Chris Peterson or is Kalen DeBoer at some point, not saying this year, but at some point going to be too intrigued by the idea of of doing what he's done forever at a school with the most resources, with limitless resources. And also, Danny, um, d- does the NFL give him a look at some point? Because yeah, that's the yeah. very highest level. It's it's a great question. I At the end of the USC game, I think most people saw this on TV. At the end of the USC game during the telecast, he's comes up to, to ZTF and puts his arm around him and is kind of talking in his ear. And ZTF is incredibly emotional, understandably, given that just a week ago his father had died. And watching Kalen talk to him and talk to ZTF about how much the players and the team loved him. And you couldn't hear the whole conversation, but you could you could hear parts of it. And it felt... I got chills watching it. And Caitlin DeBoer, I believe, is a really special coach. And I think if he... This is entirely about what he wants. And I could see him deciding that, hey, I can get to that next step right now and get to the top of, into that upper tier of college football job. Like, I, I could take that if I want. And if he wants that, he can. I, I, I don't know, but maybe he feels differently about being at Washington and he's bounced around now. Like, you look at once he left, he was at Sioux Falls for, for 10 years on that staff. And then he went to Southern Illinois for four and then Western Michigan for three and then Fresno state for two and then Indiana for one and then back to Fresno state for two. And would he leave again after another two year stop? Maybe, maybe. And thinking that, okay, I'm, I'm at that next, next, I'm almost at the top of the staircase and I'm going to make that limp. And maybe he won't. I don't think an NFL job will open for him this off season. I think he could get talked to. I don't think that's, but if he wants to go into the NFL, I firmly believe that that will be something that's available down the road. I'm not sure if you're more likely to get to the NFL by going to a school like Michigan, a school that's in that next tier, than you would be by staying at Washington. We'll see. Um, but it's, dude, he's he's going to determine his trajectory in much the same way that Chris Peterson did. It's going to be when and if he decides to go as opposed to honestly, what Washington can do to keep him because Washington's going to do everything it can. Yeah. And it's a good point. I think there probably does come a point where, where Washington has to say, look, this is, this is the outer end. This is the, this is the maximum threshold of what we can do. And frankly, it's probably past that, that, that we've put on this sheet of paper here. And if, you know, we, we have done all we can do to get you to stay here. This is, the maximum expression of our commitment as an institution. If it's not enough, it's not enough. Um, and so I, I, I think they'll get there this year. I do. I think, I think they'll get an extension done. Um, I would, I would bet money on Kalen DeBoer being at Washington next year, but we cycle's not over. We don't know what jobs are open. We don't know the, the, the timeline on which those jobs are, are going to open. Like you said, we don't know the, the timeline on which Washington will or will not be in the college football playoff. So um, I, I'll say I have not seen or heard anything from Kalen DeBoer that makes me think he does not want to be a Washington. You know, I, 
probably should at least point out, right? His daughter just signed a letter of intent to play softball there. Go um, dogs. Those sort of things. And I like I genuinely believe like he would love the opportunity to be coaching at the school where his daughter's playing and be able to easily, you know, watch her home games when when he can. Those sort of things tend to be um uh an a mitigating factor until they're not, you know. So, uh, you know, not not uh, not questioning in any way his um, his his happiness at having her at the same school or uh, how much he would enjoy, you know, being able to easily watch her play. But I, that's for me, that one's a little a little ways down the list of reasons why he should be expected to stay at Washington. Um, that's not I'm not saying it's nothing, but I I don't consider that one at the forefront when I think about like okay, what are the threats to to keeping Kalen DeBoer at UW? Yeah, it's going to be nervous times. Um, but, but the look, easiest, it's, it's the, the you'd rather have it solution, this way. Yeah, for right? sure. The easiest the easiest solution is for Washington to win at Oregon State on Saturday, to win the Apple Cup. To win the Pac-12 championship, go marching on to the college football playoff, and then that's going to give Washington the highest likelihood of having Kalen DeBoer back. So everybody would be happy there, right? No, no if complaints. Signs, no complaints. If, if he signs his contract in December and then wins a national title, do they do they double back and ask for more? <laughs> I'd give it to him, man. Like I don't Drunk know got what two to... raises last year. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the different points that you could do of like. Good Lord. We're going to move on just... from this to, to actual uh, football talk and, and not trying to make you um, vomit out of, out of nervous nausea here on, on your Thursday morning. But I, my last point on it, if you didn't read my, my column about uh, the DeBoer you know, contract situation, I, I did have a note in there that the Board of Regents a couple months ago um, approved a measure to for essentially for campus to uh, take on the burden of the Comcast overpayment repayments. Oh, really? So the athletic department will not be responsible for that money. And it's about $5.6, $5.7 million over two years. Not an enormous sum. But um, what w- the thing to watch there is just the precedent of campus helping out the athletic department with a financial burden. Okay. So keep that in mind that the AD now has has precedent to call upon to say, well, if you were willing to do that, you know, maybe there's some other ways campus can help out with some athletic department uh, financial issues. We'll see. That is an interesting point. I will also offer up this. We mentioned the Texas A&M buyout of, of Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher arrived at Texas A&M under the watch of one Scott Woodward. Texas A&M is where Scott Woodward went after the University of Washington. One of the hallmarks that I can identify in Scott Woodward's tenure, he gets a fair amount of praise at Washington, deservedly so, for hiring Chris Peterson and for overseeing the rebuilding of Husky Stadium. He has generally left some pretty severe financial implications for the next person to clean up behind him. I, I, I think that at this point, that's that's a fairly noticeable trend, both in his time at Washington and now what Texas A&M is experiencing now that Scott Woodward is at LSU. And for the first time in that I can remember, 
over the past six months or so, I've heard many different people talk to me or invoke uh, debt service regarding the construction of Husky Stadium as a factor that the athletic department is dealing with. So I'm just saying that Scott Woodward is someone who tends to make the move that makes everyone happy now and let them figure out how they're going to pay for all of that later. And sometimes the check comes due in the most uncomfortable fashion. So I was glad to see Upper Campus uh, show the recognition that it may need to 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 provide assistance on occasion to the athletic department, given what uh, the some of the decisions that were made and that are now being brought to bear on the athletic department. Do you want to talk Utah first, or do you want to talk college football playoff rankings? I, I want to go, go hand in hand. Let's go. Let's go Utah. Were you immediately aware that? Alfonso Tupatala dropped the ball at the one yard line when no, you were watching. Not until they, they mentioned it. And then I said, oh, my God, no. And then they showed the replay. And I was like, oh, my God, he wasn't even close. It was. And I I felt I still feel terrible for him. That's a, that's awful. <laughs> it's just brutal. And generally, when it's happened in the NFL, like when it happened with Deshaun Watson, my feeling is like, we all know what was going to happen. Just don't be, just don't be a marm there. And when I saw that one, I was like, yeah, you can't even, he dropped it in the field of play. <laughs> oh my God. At least, uh, at least it wasn't returned for a touchdown. Like when Kalen Clay did it for Utah against Oregon. Yeah. Um, and, and Jabbar Muhammad, Jabbar Muhammad. He saw was alert. He was fighting for it. He was going, man. <laughs> Shout out to Jabbar Muhammad. He recognized the disaster that was underway. God, it was brutal. Um, credit to Alfonso Tupatala. He talked with us on Tuesday. Um, his decision, I believe, and was just, Hey, he owned it. He messed up. Um, you know, very much trying to move on from it and put it in the past. And I don't think he'll, he'll probably talk about it again, but um, didn't seem, didn't seem too, you know, ruined by it. Um, of course they got a safety on the next play and they won the game. So that helps. So that helps. Sh- shout out to Lee, Asanoa, uh, just wrecking shop on that. Play. Yeah. Carson Bruner finished it off. That's exactly um, right. I will say I'm going to I'm going to use this as a as a a segue into the CFP thing. Um interesting to hear Buck Oregon, the selection committee chair and his part part of his rationale for why Florida State remains at number 4 with Washington at number 5 despite Washington's three top 25 wins, one of those coming against the number 6 team um by the CFP's own rankings the very best win in college football this year. Um interesting to hear him site you know what let's let's just let's go ahead and play the clip um and i'll i'll preface this by saying this this was my my phone recording off of my television this is from espn's telecast on tuesday night this is the technological savvy um the duct tape and bailing wire that the say who say pod is known for nothing but the highest of production values for you folks florida state really good offensively has been really good defensively you know, don't don't undersell the, the Miami Florida State rivalry as well, and that's been going on for years. Miami hit a big play um, for that touchdown in the second half, but we felt Florida State was a dominant team in there, and Washington continues to win. Uh, really good defensive uh, second half against Utah, but as we looked at it and evaluated it, and you know, as y'all can appreciate, the debate is getting stronger every week as we get more and more data points going through this, but we ended up with Florida State 
at floor in uh, Washington at five. Ruby, you know, uh, Ruby protesting in the background there. I, I, I like to, to hear that. If you want to hear Christian's daughter, you can hear her just in the background here. And uh, really good defensive uh, second half against Utah. But as we... That's right. That man's not making sense, Ruby. He's, so, he's talking out of his hind parts. So the Florida State-Miami rivalry, which has been going on for a long time, <laughs> and Miami score, Miami uh, had a big play, a big play uh, in the second half that a- apparently doesn't count the same or they're they're choosing to uh to cite this big play Miami made as as reason why yeah this was only a 7 point game but uh Florida State was was the dominant team I'm I'm a little curious and you know I, I'll give them credit obviously um they they if not watched the Washington game at least paid very close attention to the script and how it played out right he cited the strong defensive second half um so they didn't just look at the score but I I'm I'm curious why the Miami big play is mentioned as a mitigating factor in the score, the relatively close score of a game that they felt Florida State otherwise controlled. But Alfonso Tupatala's dropping of the ball at the one-yard line essentially gifting five points in the margin is not mentioned. Right, because you could eat, and 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 really, what this comes back to is, I think, the way that everybody now knows that this works. They choose the teams they think are the best for, and then they they rationalize it however they however they want. Because um, if you want, if you wanted to move Washington ahead this week, that would be the rationalization, right? Well, first of all, a seven point win over number eighteen Utah is impressive on its own. But if you watch the game, I mean, they had that weird funky play where the guy dropped the ball at the one yard line. It really should have been a 12 point win. Um, you know, they really, they really won by more than seven. If you think about it, blah, blah, blah. And then Florida state fans would be the ones really upset saying, Hey, wait a minute. We controlled the game against Miami. It was just a big play. We've been playing Miami for a long time, Danny. It's a, it's a rivalry. It's a rivalry and they've been playing it for a long time. The, the two words that, annoyed me most in what Boo Corrigan said were data points because they're using and he's using the buzzwords of empirical process, sort of analytics, like a studied to explain something that is much more emotional and reflecting the bias of the committee. Utah is and has been a better program than Miami over the past decade. That that's I, I don't I don't that's an uncontestable fact. And yet the re- like how they feel, how that playoff committee feels about Florida State beating Miami clearly is much different. And I understand why, because of how much that rivalry is hardwired into sort of college football consciousness and reflective of a bygone era. Like that's of wide left Florida state can't beat Miami, all of that crap. So data points is what pisses me off because it's, it feels like a bunch of good old boys are like, well, that Florida state Miami game, you could throw the records out in that one and they won by a touchdown. So that's a big deal. Yahoos. I Look what, what this really is, is, 
whether it's all of the people on the committee or just a majority of the people on the committee or just the most influential people on the committee, whatever, when it's time to discuss the number four spot, it's, come on, you've watched Florida State and you've watched Washington. Do you really think Washington's better than Florida State? No. <laughs> so Florida State's number four. I think that's what it is. And, and honestly, if Boo Corrigan got an ESPN and was just like, look, I know Washington has more top 25 wins. I know that by our own rankings, they have the very best win in college football this year, and they're undefeated. Um, we just think Florida State's better. Yes. I think people would, would respect that a little more. 100%, 100%. It is the dressing it up with the guise of let's cloak, let's use data points and all of this. It, yeah, that, that's what they should say. We think if they played on a, on a, on a neutral field that Florida State would win. And we'll see how we'll see how the process plays out the rest of the season. But that's how we have it right now. Um, it it gets funnier. It, it, like Boo Boo gets funnier as he continued to talk to Reese Davis. How would you characterize the importance of being undefeated against maybe a good schedule as opposed to having a loss against a a stronger one? Again, as we're building this right in, in week eleven, we're going to look at everything. That's, that's happened to date, where they're playing, um, et cetera. But, you know, that winning matters. You, you know, we talk about it every year as we go into this, that winning games matters. Um, a lot of really good teams, you know, the top eight didn't change. Winning matters. You know, we talk about it every year as we go into this, that winning games matters. Um, a lot of really good teams, you know, the top eight didn't change. To be fair. To be some fair, high level math, some high level, uh, some some data points to consider there. Boo! The five undefeated teams are the top five, so winning matters that much. <laughs> um, but boy, boy, do they want to move Oregon past Washington <laughs> <laughs> so badly? Everybody does. I saw Wilner did it in his power rankings, and then he was he was dunking on people that were complaining about it, which is funny. Which I don't I, look. They're your power rankings. You think Oregon's a better team and lost narrowly on? on the road at Washington and they're going to win in the Pac-12. It's your prediction on what's going to happen in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, and it's complete that's completely reasonable. I mean, anybody who's watched Oregon, yeah, how could you not be impressed? They've been really really good and uh yeah, it, their loss at Washington was as close as can be. Like I I don't totally dismiss that the argument that like, well, is is head to head everything. I think as if one of the teams is undefeated, yes. then you got to honor the head to head. Um, if they have, if they I, have like, the same record or if the one of the teams is undefeated, you have to honor the head to head. That's just how it goes. Well, not if they have the same record, because if Washington loses on Saturday to Oregon State, Oregon is absolutely going to move past them. Oh, yeah. But that's. Yes. But if they ended up with the same record and they they won't because of how things are going. If you end up with the same record as somebody and they get the nod ahead of you despite you having beaten them head to head, that is fundamentally wrong. I don't care what anybody says. Like that's wrong. Can't do it. It's, um, it's funny because the, the, under the old like divisional structure, you'd be talking about a, probably a Washington, Arizona PAC 12 championship. Um, but because of of the top two, it's it's almost certainly going to be Washington against Oregon. So 
the debate is only the debate for another couple of weeks because they're going to play each other. And but that well, right. that's what's funny too is that that's going to be seen as like settling it. Even though if Oregon wins, they'll they'll only be split for the season. Um, yeah, yeah, but the timing comes late. But you're right. You're, and it's you're a right. new, you know, it's it's a neutral field and and all those things. Speaking of that, how the hell did the Big Ten ever differentiate its conferences or its its conference into divisions? I guess I haven't paid that much attention over the years. How are the three best programs in the same division in the Big Ten? That makes that makes no sense. Yeah, I that, I thought about that too. Um, the only the only Big Ten divisions that I recognize are the legends and the leaders. <laughs> those were the worst. Those so I don't just, know about this East West. Um, those those were the perfect divisions of how that conference sees itself. <laughs> Let's call last it the year, legends. Last year of divisions for them, though. Yeah. Which, if you're going to have your three best programs in one division, you shouldn't have divisions because that's dumb. Just dumb. If you're going to have 18 teams, I, I've always kind of been, I've been against conference championship games, and I've been against, um, I'm in the minority on this, but I'm, I'm, I'm against conference tournaments in, in basketball. Oh, really? You play an... 18 game and it's different now because it's unbalanced and there's yeah more teams but like in the old days of the pack 10 you play an 18 game schedule every team plays all other nine teams twice home and away uh-huh. perfectly balanced no advantage everyone plays everyone the same number of times why do you then need after months of competition and 18 games a four-day tournament to determine who gets the automatic bid out of your league. Why are you playing 18 games solely for the purpose of securing a top seed only to then have to turn around and win three games in three days to win the automatic bid? Now, in the Pac-10 and a power conference, the automatic bid is is far less important. It's It doesn't really matter. In fact, like there was always the narrative, right, that Lute Olson thought it was a waste of time. He thought, why expend energy on this? We're playing in the big dance next week. This is dumb. We already won the league. We're already well positioned. I agreed with that. I, I always thought like this is uh this is unnecessary. It gives and I get it, it's good for TV. And it, you know, it gives every team hope, right? If you're the horrible 12 seed, hey, you can get hot over four days and and play your way into the tournament. But I don't know. I was like, what's the point of the season? These smaller conferences, are you kidding me? These mid majors that only get one bid, you can go sixteen and zero in league play and not make the NCAA tournament. That's ridiculous. Hell yeah, hell yeah, it can you can you can you can lose your bid to a team with a losing record because they got hot at the right time. That's the way March works. Well, that's they should do that. The, that's for football. the beauty of college basketball. No, hell you no. Know, you know what? Conference championship games in football should be the first place team against the last place team. <laughs> no, that's that's a terrible idea. Yeah, no. first place against last place. <laughs> Are you kidding? You wouldn't watch that? You wouldn't? Okay, so Washington's playing for the right to play uh, like Wazoo or Colorado, most likely, in the Pac-12 championship game. And, and, now, and the winner and the winner is guaranteed a New Year's Six bid. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not for that at all. I think that's a bad idea. What yeah. I do think is a better idea would be to take the, the two worst or the four worst teams and instead of your number five overall team going to the craft fight hunger bowl in san francisco if that's still around or the cheese it bowl whatever the hell that they've had have the two worst teams in the conference play for that fifth 
and and call it the toilet bowl or something. I would be more into that than I would be if you having the top two teams in the conference play to decide the conference championship in football. That makes sense to me. I like that. I get it. And for the Pac-12, uh, it made sense because they were always getting dinged for strength of schedule. Correct. So, yeah, you avoid the 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 nine and three like Jim Mora UCLA team playing for a conference championship when there's two 10 win teams in the North or whatever. I get that. You give, you give whoever your champion is uh, the best possible uh, additional resume booster by, by playing. I don't know. I just think you played the whole season and it, and it's different in football because you don't play every team in your conference. So there is that element. Like, should you be able to claim a conference championship without having to to win it at the end if maybe you're playing a team that wasn't on your schedule who who deserves the the shot at you but um i don't know it's just a little a little side rant i feel more i feel more passionately about it in basketball frankly yeah i can i can see it in basketball especially for the lesser the lesser conferences what happened with washington's defense in the second half they go into halftime against utah and i was legitimately worried and the start of the third quarter i was like oh i this is a bad start you freeze my reaction maybe five minutes into the second half. And I'm very fearful about where the game is going. Cause I felt like Washington had a real hard time stopping Utah. And I didn't see that letting up. And then Washington, Washington just became a wall after that. And, and Utah really couldn't do anything. What changed? You know, I, Jabbar Muhammad said that they, they went back to a lot of their base calls and that they, um, and they changed something so that they they were more confident about any any pre-snap adjustments they needed to make based on whatever look Utah came out in. Uh-huh. And then I I mean Alfonso Tupatala picked off that pass. Like yep. that's the thing. Utah was driving. Yes, right? they were. Like they're Washington had gone ahead, they'd gotten a stop, I think, and Utah's got the ball like inside the 30. And it's third down. Washington badly needs a stop. I mean, so that, you know, obviously for rightfully so, like the fixation is on the fact that he dropped the ball at the one yard line, but that play did change the game. I mean, it, it, it led to them getting two points and getting possession back and it prevent, you know, it ended a Utah, a, a, what had been a promising Utah drive. So I think they tackled better, um, you know, I think like when Bryson Barnes throws for 300 or excuse me, when Utah puts up over 300 yards and Bryson Barnes throws for 230 or whatever in the first half, like there's also just going to be some regression to the mean, there's right? Like def- they were, that's definitely true. And they were, and, some of that was hucking it deep. Like a couple of those throws to Vele were him just, him just tossing it. Yeah. I mean, they let Vele get, get all alone behind, behind the secondary for a big 60 plus yarder. Um, you know, Elijah Jackson takes a bad angle on him and and lets him free for a 40 plus yard gain. They score a 53 yard touchdown on a screen pass. You know that that that's just um, that stuff you can't have. You know, those can't, those can't be like enormous gains. So I think they just they cleaned up a lot of that. They limited explosives and a bad offense regressed to the mean a little bit. Um, and, and Washington made plays when when they had opportunities. How big an impact do you think Thule being back, the Thule Asanoa makes? I mean, I think it's huge. And it's yeah. it's not just his playmaking ability, but now, you know, he played 30 snaps, I think. So that's 30 snaps 
of your depth that you're not relying on, which is a, a really big deal in the middle. Um, you know, he, he had the penetration on that safety. I don't know that you saw him like real active or productive otherwise, but just having him there to, to clog the middle and he knows what's going on. And, um, so he, we, we talked to him a little bit on Tuesday. He's a, he's a man of few words, but the, the fact he was made available, I think, uh, it portends well for his future availability. It was the perfect, not tune up. It's the perfect kind of test to get Washington ready for Oregon state. Normally I would say pay, playing those two physical teams back to back is a bad thing. I actually think it might be a good thing because it seemed that Washington first Washington finished the game much stronger than it started, especially on defense against Utah and having that kind of physical matchup is it's, it's absolutely a sign of the, the level and type of play that they're going to have. That's the type of contest they're going to face against Oregon state. I mean, they got some, they got some guys up front who have been pretty disruptive and it's like, I mean, you kind of said it, It, it's like Utah. I mean, I, I don't need to know who the 11 guys are playing for Utah. They're going to show up. They're going to play really hard. They're going to be physical. They're going to knock the snot out of you and you might beat them, but you're going to feel it. And that's just, that's what Oregon state has been under Jonathan Smith, especially these last couple of years. Like they play really hard. They know in, in, you know, I, I think you almost set the, the, the pack two left behind, you almost set that aside. Oregon State's still playing for a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. Sure as hell are. I mean, and they got the they, the gauntlet's been thrown down for them, right? I think they would have, you know, they'd be in a lot better position if they'd gotten to this two-game stretch here with one loss. If they'd been able to avoid that loss in Pullman, especially, um, they actually would still have some margin for error. They'd be right there with, with Washington and Oregon. But as it is, they know, hey, two weeks, we don't leave the state of Oregon. Well, one of Second game is on the road in Eugene, but beat Washington, beat Oregon, and give yourself a chance to be uh, to be in that title game. So, I'm I'm expecting a a very a very very feisty uh, Beavers squad. I'm a little surprised to see them favored in this game. Two and a half points, and that brings us to our conversation this week with Ian McFarland. Uh, if you would like to have a conversation about any future opportunities that you're looking for, in terms of sales terms of idea you might have sort of bringing something to a new customer base it's worth a conversation with ian mcfarland at ipmcfarland.com and here's ian so the organ game i didn't know what to think and i was nervous throughout we'll just leave asu and stanford aside because those were well they were whatever they were USC, I was really nervous going in, and at multiple points sitting there in the stadium, I was pretty nervous. Utah, I kind of thought Washington would win, but sitting in the crowd, there was no point in that game where I thought Utah would win, even at halftime. I I thought Washington had way more room to grow and way more adjustments to make, and I was confident that they would win. Now we head into an Oregon State game where the line has flipped to Oregon State. Everybody on the national side is picking Oregon State. Jonathan Smith is a phenomenal coach and would be a great hire by Michigan State, by Mississippi State, even by Texas A&M, who I don't think will be smart enough to hire him. 
And I think they have the talent to give some real matchup problems to Washington. But I also think that Washington's going to win by three scores. Am I out of my mind? Because I don't think this is going to be close. You guys are the best. Go dogs. Captain Optimism. Wow. Major enthusiasm. Ian's Ian's trying to uh to will that three bedroom suite he booked at the MGM in, into being here. Um listen, I uh I don't disagree with the 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 principle of of Ian's thoughts here. I will say Washington winning by three scores on the road against a, an eight and two team. I mean, Washington hasn't won by three scores against anybody since Cal. So they, they've not been that, like that kind of team that puts games away. Um, but you know, maybe that's anytime a team wins the way Washington has been winning and remains undefeated, even though a lot of people would look at their resume and think, Hmm, they hmm, maybe should have lost to Arizona State. Gosh, no. they, they maybe could have lost to Stanford. No, there you know USC put forty two on. That was a shootout. Could have kind of gone either way before one they by ten stepped on it at the end there. I think that it's entirely possible the regression goes the other way. That you could look at it from the Washington side and say. How close were they? A Jeremy Bernard fumble at the five-yard line away from just stepping on Arizona and walking out of there with the kind of margin that would be even more impressive in hindsight. Now, we know Arizona is a 17th-ranked team in the country. No win in Tucson is unimpressive now. Um, you know, Arizona State, they Turned benefited the from... four times. Yeah, four turnovers, one of them in the red zone. Um one of them in the red zone on a play that if it doesn't get tipped at the line, it's a touchdown um, benefited. No doubt from a very bad picked up pass interference flag. Um, pick Although six. that's going to be offset by the number of times that I've seen opponents grab Roma Dunze by the front of his Jersey collar and rip it to the point where you can see his shoulder pads and not get penalized. I'm no longer willing. I'm not no longer willing to entertain complaints about that picked up flag against Arizona state. But even in that game, um, they settle for a field goal late. So it's an eight point margin. You know, they failed to put it away. They'd had a chance to put it away, take a two score lead late, put the game out of reach and they didn't, um, you know, Stanford. Yeah. Stanford dropped a pass on fourth down while they were driving. They would have made that game real dicey, but also that came after Washington committed consecutive turnovers in the red zone with a mm-hmm. chance to, to, to take the kind of lead and, and, you know, take control. Um, and, and even Saturday, right. They've got a, a, a makeable field goal. Now it was not a day for kicking field goals. It was windy as heck and Grady Gross did a great job to make his first two, but they, they just fully botched that whole operation. The snap is high. The hold has laces the laces out. in. Laces out! And it's kicked. I, I don't even know where that ball would have wound up if it hadn't been, quote-unquote, blocked. Um, but you know that's another example, right? They got they got a chance. They punch that in for a touchdown, and the game's over. Alfonso Tupatala doesn't drop the ball at the one-yard line. The game is, is completely different. Um, so maybe the regression is we should expect that one of these weeks, Washington, as the more talented team, is actually going to make the plays late 
that puts the game out of reach. They kind of did against USC, right? They got the sack to get yep. the ball back. Boom, Dylan Johnson, 53 yards. They're able to, to finish that that drive running the ball. They take a 10-point lead, and that that sort of ends it. Um, but, yeah, maybe that's maybe the regression is uh, is is progression. Danny, maybe it's maybe it's in the other direction. Maybe Washington truly is better than these results we've seen. And this is the week that that we see it. Or, you know, maybe uh, maybe it's the week it catches up with them on the road. Who knows? I feel like Washington is playing significantly better over the course of the last three games. I think that their game against Utah was better than the game that they played against USC. Um, I think that we're seeing improvement from the team i think they've weathered what have been a number of injuries to the interior of their offensive line they're starting to run the ball better not just against usc you also saw it against utah they've not been able to run the ball as efficiently this is the best they've run the ball all season and and i do think that that defense is playing better they're the they were able to pick on Utah's left tackle to the point Utah had to make a change. And I, I feel really, I guess I should say this really quietly. I feel really good about their chances against Oregon state. I feel really good about how they've been playing, how their quarterback is two weeks ago. I was worried that Michael Penix had some sort of injury that they might not have been fully disclosing. I don't have any of that question anymore. Jalen McMillan was out catching passes. We might see him back. I feel I feel really good about about where Washington is headed into this game and I don't mind the fact that Oregon State is favored but I also don't feel this is as confident as I've been about playing at Oregon State in a month. I feel good. I will say the I mean the the big concern for Washington they have not fared well against really good running backs. Uh, True. Got a Tascadabo ran through a lot of a lot of arm tackles. Bucky Irving was very difficult to corral, and and Damian Martinez is really, really good. And you know, it's not just Samurai. They got Martinez and Fenwick. That's gonna be uh that's gonna be a huge challenge. I mean, that's you know, if Oregon State's able to kind of like sustain some methodical drives and run the ball and stay ahead of the chains and um, make it so that they don't <clears throat> they don't get those those pass rush opportunities, um, it could be a uh, could be a closer game than Ian's anticipating. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I think Thule being back is a huge deal. I think Thule being back is a is a gigantic deal for Washington. That is a huge. And, and that is a huge, huge defense. deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a tough week for you last week in picks, Christian. Was it one in five? It was one in five. <sighs> and I did the one, I, the, I, the one you got right. So you took well. Cal. Cal was a one point favorite. They won by three. Arizona State continues to mystify you. UCLA, 17-point favorites. UCLA scored seven points. Chip Kelly might be done down there. Yeah. Speculation is mounting. Plaschke uh, called for it. Oh, did he? Yep. <laughs> Bring down the hammer. And, and then Chip Kelly yawned. He says, if it happens, it happens. Whatever. I don't really care. <laughs> I'm going to get my eight hours. Good God. Uh, Arizona, uh, neither one of us got that one right. Washington did not cover, um, though perhaps you could say they should have. They made uh, bad beats. Yeah, they did make bad beats. It was a pretty tough one. 
Uh, Oregon State thumped Stanford 62 to 17. And Oregon 36, USC 27, Oregon failing to cover. What a miserable pick that Stanford pick was. Good Lord. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, you want to start with the Cougs? Cougs playing on Friday night at home against Colorado. This is how little the line likes, the, the, the Vegas likes Colorado. The Cougs are four and a half point favorites. <laughs> I really have no clue what to think of this. Gosh, what's there going to be? 8,000 people at this game? Oh, Thanksgiving. It's Friday night. It's Friday night. It's is Thanksgiving Wazoo, weekend, though. Does Wazoo let out? Do they not have any classes on on Monday? They don't. They they get the whole week off. Oh, um, yeah. There's going to be. Yeah, there will be friends and family at the game. Usually I'm I'm really liking the home team on a Friday night game. Gosh, who wants who wants to win this game more? That's what it's like. Who wants to be there more? And I don't know, man. I between these two teams. Jeez. I'm you know what? I'm I'm gonna roll with, with Wazoo uh one final time probably. I I think that uh I think they at least showed up in Berkeley last week, which is a good a good sign. And kick Colorado, you know, so did Colorado so, uh, against Arizona. So I don't know. I'll take the Cougs. I I truly have no clue. I would I would not touch this game with actual money. Yeah, I'm 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 on with the Cougs here. I'm going mostly with the the belief that the guys that Deion Sanders is trusting to protect Shadur have pretty much been thrown under the bus and backed over about 15 different times now. And that their, their resolve on a Friday night in Pullman in front of friends and family that I, I think the Cougs are going to win this one. I think the Cougs are even going to cover, which is weird. I can't believe they're favored Utah at Arizona wildcats, the wildcats favored by one, the fishes. That's amazing. If you had told me before the season, that Arizona would be favored in this game. Um, you know, I'm just going to keep rolling the dice with the fishes. I could, I could see, I could see this being the comeback down to earth game where Utah is kind of like, yeah, we're still Utah, you know, like, Hey, we're, we, we don't, we don't stop playing just because we're eliminated from, from a conference championship contention. We're, we're still Utah and we can still take it to, uh, but I don't know. I just think I, Arizona's got a lot still to play for. The game's in Tucson. I, I I like Arizona to cover the one. I'm taking the Utes. UCLA at USC. This is also a surprising line. <laughs> Trojans by seven. This is I, I my Pac-12 power rankings this week. I called this the disinterest cup. Um, oh. what, what's too bad is this is the most aesthetically pleasing matchup. In it really is. Age. It's the two teams' colors are just beautiful on the same screen. It's the gorgeous. game is always played on grass. Yes, oh, it's 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 tremendous. Jeez, seven. I I, I got to take USC. I cannot pick UCLA to cover a seven point spread after they just lost by ten at home to Arizona State. 
feel the exact same way. <laughs> I think they not only did they lose at home to Arizona State, Arizona State really didn't have a quarterback. I mean, no. Was, like, if you watch the way they, they called to, it, Scadaboo. They lost to ASU quarterback Cam Scadaboo <laughs> for crying out loud. The Paul Horning National Player of the Week, by the way. Um, I will say, and this is being affirmed, I have always thought that the best approach for an NFL team to their backup quarterback is to get someone who is completely unorthodox. I thought Tim Tebow would be the perfect backup quarterback in the NFL because throw someone out there that the other team has no idea how to game plan against, which is kind of what snapping the ball to Scadaboo is. What are you supposed to do there? He's just a really hard-to-tackle football player who can't really throw, but he kind of can. But Enough he might to, do it. Yeah. Like the whole thing, it just throws everybody off. And and I will I I be I've become more adamant over the years that this idea of getting uh a guy who's not good enough to be a starter, but is the closest thing you can find, like who's turkey bacon, you shouldn't try and get turkey bacon that he gets in there and everybody knows, like, okay, you're playing the part of bacon, but you're not really bacon, you're not fooling anybody. You should go get some entirely different product to put as your backup quarterback. And then if your starter gets hurt, you're like, ha ha, all rules are off. It's now anarchy for the rest of this game. And that's what I feel like Scadaboo was. Yeah. You snap the ball to him. He might, he might run. He might pass. He might punt. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, The ultimate, the ultimate in that type of player would have been, do you ever remember Mike Sellers? I do. Yeah. So Mike Sellers is someone Brock Heward would identify as one of the very best athletes he's ever seen. Uh, Mike, is he's from Eastern Washington. I think he might be from, I know he played at Walla Walla. I was thinking Walla Walla. I don't, I think he might be from the tri cities, but Mike, Mike didn't play. He didn't play NCAA football. He went to the CFL after playing at community college. And then he spent, I mean, he might've spent five or six years in the NFL. I apologize. Mike Sellers is from Thurston. I just remembered he's from Thurston played at Walla Walla community college. Brock saw Mike Sellers dunk a basketball with someone riding piggyback on him on a regulation hoop, which is just unfathomable. Mike Sellers would be the perfect. He was Scadaboo before Scadaboo. Just nobody gave him the chance to throw the football. I don't know if you remember um, the video game NFL fever. Uh, Is that the one where you could body slam people? No, that was blitz. Yeah, it wasn't. um, It was really, it was probably closer to Madden than blitz. It was just a different NFL game frame. I don't know, but I loved that game. My friends and I played years and years and years and years of Dynasty with like five of us had teams. Um, and we we always loved seeing Mike Sellers bio on that because his college was Walla Walla Community College. <laughs> so we were always like, yeah, there's a Walla Walla guy. Freak athlete. Unbelievable athlete, in fact. All right. Oregon at Arizona State at the Fighting Scatapoos. Uh Oregon favored by 23 and a half. Uh Oregon. I think uh I think this will be a bloodbath and I have n- no clue. So what do we know? What do I know? What the hell? I'm taking Arizona State and I think Arizona State's going to win this game straight up. <laughs> no you don't. Yeah, I do. I do. I, th- I I believe in Scatapoo. I also believe in Kenny Dillingham coming up with he he knows all the secrets on how to stop Oregon. <laughs> I've Dude. I've I've one hundred percent talked myself into the idea that Sparky's going to lodge the upset here. 
You just got you got to give crazy props to Kenny Dillingham. I mean, hell yes. He knows he's just got nothing, but he still shows up to the fight with like, you know what? We're going to throw some stuff at them they've never seen and like they're trying, you know? They're try It's not it, it'd be easy enough to just say, "Look, all our quarterbacks are hurt. All our O-line is hurt. We got nothing." We're going to run the ball into the line three times and punt and hope we get out of there without anyone else getting hurt. He's like, no, I got my job is to try to win the game with the dudes I have. And if that means like showing up with a swinging gate offense and putting Cam Scadaboo at quarterback, that's what we're going to do. I love it. I am a huge fan of him. I also I one of my one of my good friends lives in Phoenix and he grew up cheering for the Sun Devils. He went to UW and but He's talking about like Kenny Dillingham. That's kind of his dream job. Like he's always talked about wanting to coach Arizona State. I, I, I love. I'm watching how engaged he's been in the whole season. It's, it's really, it's actually really impressive. Given there were points we thought that Arizona State was the worst team in the conference, and they, they're not, they're not terrible. They're not a good team, but they play really good defense and they play freaking hard. Yeah, Arizona I wonder State's if the, gonna win, uh, win this game straight up. The bowl probation had the opposite effect on them. Oh, it made him made him decide. Like, you know what? <laughs> let's just play. Let's let's play like let's play hard as we can, just for the sake of it. Even though we got nothing to play for. Yeah, it's been very funny to watch. I saw uh, the number two, the Michigan running back. Um, I'm blank on his name. Right? Yeah, is it Blake Corin? Mm-hmm afterwards talking about how when everybody's against you and your back's up against the wall, she's like, yeah, when you get caught cheating and everybody hates you because you've been a bunch of cheaters, it really shows what you're made of. I love the positioning of the adversity storyline over got caught cheating. One of the chief self, they had a girls basketball team that had a bunch of players that did not live in the area. And, I think players got suspended right before the state tournament. This is probably 10 years ago in in Seattle. And afterwards, the kids, like they had the numbers of the girls that were suspended were written on wristbands and stuff. And I I get it. It's like, but she also didn't live in the area of the school. (laughs) So it's kind of like, we're thinking of you, our ringer that we're not able to currently play. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, the, the, the interim head coach crying. During his post game interview, (laughs) like my goodness, wins the candlelight vigil for crying out loud. Yeah, and then and then Harbaugh comes out and he says, "Really, Michigan's Americans, America's team right now." And I was kind of like, "You're kind (laughs) of right because this country was founded by people who didn't want to pay their taxes, basically didn't want to follow the rules." So I can kind of get behind that. We we are a nation with treasonous roots. (laughs) But in the arms of the yeah. harbor. <laughs> Just hilarious. Uh, all right. So the next one is California Stanford. Cal favored by six and a half. I like Cal because I think they're I think they're on to something. Um, I think they should feel good about uh the way that they won against Wazoo holding on there, taking advantage of a couple of weird fumbles. Um they're four and six. If they win this game, they're still playing for a bowl game somehow. And uh, I, uh, I think, uh, I think they're going to. I think they're, I think they're a more complete team than Stanford is. Would not be shocked to see Stanford win. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take Cal here. I'm taking Cal as well. 
Uh, and then we have Washington at Oregon State. The Beavs favored by two and a half. I uh, I will take the IP McFarland ticket and, and and go with Washington here. Um, I I think they're better. I think they're a better team. I think they're um, you know. And if if these college football playoff rankings have enforced anything, it's that you you better win all your games and and remove any doubt. So uh, I I'm I'm going with Washington. I, I think they. I think they win. I think they cover the the two and a half. Best I've felt about Washington since the Oregon game. This is the best I've felt about them since the Oregon game. I'm excited to see exactly what happens. Um, I don't know if I should mention this or not, but I've done it, so I kind of feel like I have to. I'm coming to Seattle the first weekend in December. So December 2nd is the is the Saturday, December 3rd is the Sunday, which means I have to fly across the country and I decided to stop in Las Vegas on December 1st. Uh-oh. I don't know if I should mention that, but I've already done it, so it feels like I have to mention it. Like, I can't just not mention it, right? I think you should, yeah. It's a refundable ticket, so... If something were to happen, I can change it or just decide that I'm going to fly straight there. But uh, see, I I I have mixed emotions about this, Christian. No. See, I think that you are not in like uh, jinx territory unless you're talking about booking CFP travel. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I think this the what you're doing and it's it's this is less of an issue for you, more of an issue for people who live in the Seattle area. Um, people who have booked Pac-12 championship game travel are really just getting out in front of the the gouging that's already happening, by the way. I mean, you should, when we're done here, look at fares from Seattle to Vegas for that Thursday going down there and that Saturday coming back. It's outrageous, outrageous already. So anybody, I mean, you, you, you're just playing the statistical probabilities by booking yeah. your travel ahead of time. For I mean, think of what would have to happen for Washington to not be in that game. Um, That's kind of what I was looking at, which is not really, it's not, not really a banking on multiple things happening. It's just saying a disaster situation doesn't have to occur. And I'm flying back from Las Vegas to Seattle on Saturday to get to a holiday party that night, going through Los Angeles, which is not en route. (laughs) It is not, it's going to take me longer to get from Las Vegas to Seattle than it does for me to get from Seattle to Newark. What's your uh, what's your plan for tickets? Should that come to fruition? I'll hustle around. I'll find something. It's sold yeah. out, but that that's not that's never been a tough ticket. Will you um, season ticket? I'm sh- I'm sure part of that sellout is is allotment for the participating teams that would be given first opportunity would be given to season ticket holders, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how many tickets go to season ticket holders because when they've gone to the Rose Bowl or I guess I didn't end up using our season ticket seats when they went to the Peach Bowl, though the college football playoff against Alabama. I used different tickets. Um, although I did, no, I did buy some through through the school as well, and then I ended up selling those because I got different seats through the radio station. Um, yeah, so I I probably could do that. I also might try to get down low, um, get down low, get down low. Um, you could you could also just request a, a credential, and when they see say who say pod is the affiliation, 
they'll go, oh, goodness. Would you like to sit on the 50-yard line, or would you like your own suite, sir? <laughs> 430 kick, man. And one o'clock, one o'clock kick for the Apple Cup. Yeah, let's go. Dodging those, uh, dodging those late kicks. Looking forward to driving down on Saturday. I love going to Corvallis, man. I Corvallis love, I love Corvallis. Spot. I love the drive. Um, very much looking forward to my first and and probably last for a really, really long time trip to the the new Research Stadium, renovated Research Stadium. Um, I hear it's it's quite nice and great place to watch a game. I think it'll be an awesome atmosphere. No college game day little bit of a surprise I think people were were expecting them to pick this game but uh i think the, the crowd's gonna bring it it should be very fun if you get bored afterward or maybe if you want to stay an extra day on sunday you can go to the enchanted forest so yeah near salem uh, you know i'd prefer the enchanted forest exist only in my imagination <laughs> i feel like there's just no way that it could live up to the anticipation what I, the what anticipation is to the be. actual experience yeah i could see that i could see that <laughs> Oh, enjoy the game, everybody, and we will talk to you next week.